ready now for uh, our number four in the series called Justified. Uh, 500 years ago, a German monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed 95 issues. It's called 95 Theses to the Wittenberg Church door in Germany. And it was the religious shot heard around the world. It was culture-shaking and transformational. It, it planted the seeds for democracy. It planted the seeds to challenge absolutism in the monarchs of Europe because the Pope and the kings and queens of Europe all had unquestionable authority. Their word was law, and they ruled with an absolute fist. And Martin Luther had forgive my crass way of saying it, but the God-guided guts to stand up in the face of corruption, both in the government and in the church. And so this month, October 31st, we celebrate the 500th anniversary of that because he certainly paved the way for us to, in a godly sense, arise and cry out for revival and go back and return to the word of the Lord. Jeremiah says, uh, Remove not the ancient landmarks. And he says, seek the old paths. And so there are some old paths that have truth that is untarnished, that is unchanging. And the, the principal idea that brought change to the world in the Reformation, in the Protestant Reformation, it wasn't just a revival, a series of meetings and a little bit of a generational excitement, but it was a reformation where culture radically changed and history was altered because of one man who dared to defy unquestionable authority and talk about the fact that there were those who, popes in the past and present, who contradicted themselves and their word shouldn't have final authority. Only the word of God should have final authority. Somebody say amen. And so Martin Luther was a brave, courageous man because he'd been in the face of God. He'd been in the presence of God and he was radically shaken and changed. Not unlike anyone else in this room who wouldn't, or, or if, if you go before God and understand your destiny and the reason that God brought you into the world, it was Mark Twain, the famous American author, his pen name, Mark Twain, his name was Samuel Clemens, who coined the famous phrase and said the two most important days in a man's life are the day he's born and the day he finds out why. And so when you understand your destiny, the reason, French word raison d'etre, your reason for being, when you understand why you're here, the reason God put you here, and then I'll add the third day to it, the day you were born first, the day you're born again second, and then the day you find out why. You understand purpose. You understand, recognize God has a purpose for your life. Everybody say purpose. Then you recognize that God has uh, given you, I believe, giftings and skill sets and experience. Um, I, I read somewhere here the other day that the will of God will not take you anywhere, that the grace of God will not pr pr protect you. And the goodness of God will, will not provide for you. The, the will of God will not take you anywhere, but the grace of God won't protect you and the, will of, and the, the goodness of God provide for you. So God's equipped you. He's appointed you. You're born for a reason. You this almost sounds like a line out of a help. Any of you ever seen that movie, uh, Old South? Uh, you is kind. You is important. And so I'm staring you in the face this morning. I'm trying to tell you that God has a purpose for your life. You, you is important. Tell somebody, say, you is important. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, 
justified, just as if I'd never sinned, made righteous. The, the big idea out of the Reformation was justification by faith alone. It's not faith plus anything. It's not faith plus good deeds. It's not faith plus baptism. Uh, because as a believer, you have already been justified in Christ. When you get wet, when you're baptized in Christ, it is an outward sign of an inward work that's already taken place. The water doesn't save you. You don't go down in the water or whatever means or mode you might have experienced growing up in your denominational affiliation, whether you were poured or you were sprinkled or you were dunked or whatever you experienced, um, that has a purpose and it's an outward witness to an inward work of the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the work is done by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. All right, so justified, this is number four. Uh, just a little preliminary introduction and review this morning. Let me get rid of my mint so I don't feel like I'm talking across it. Be a little more clear in my speech. Our series text is found in Galatians chapter 3.11. Remain seated. Wait until I tell you to read out loud. Here we go, Galatians 3.11. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law for the scriptures say. Read, everybody. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. King James is the easier way to say it because we have familiarity with it. The just shall live by what? Habakkuk, Old Testament prophet. Romans, New Testament letter written by Paul. Galatians, New Testament letter written by Paul. Hebrews, another New Testament book. All of these four voices saying the same thing, four different witnesses. The just shall live by faith. Just is the same word as righteous. Righteous doesn't mean that you're all holier than thou or everybody else, but righteous simply means right standing. It means you're in good standing with God. Issues have been reconciled. And you're on good grounds. You're in good standing with the Father. So the just, those who've been made righteous, are made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. And they live by faith. Okay? That's important. Our message text this morning is found in the book of Galatians chapter 3, the very last verse of that chapter. Uh, chapters 1 and 2, we preached one message. 3, 4, and 5, there'll be two messages each. And then 6, we'll have one as we finish message number 9 in this series before the end of November. So Galatians chapter 3, go ahead and read all of this out loud with me. Here we go. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now who's he talking about? Everybody say me. Me. So that's you as a believer because you belong to Christ. Uh, phrase in the New Testament, particularly all of the letters of the Apostle Paul, is an important phrase, in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a phrase which denotes identification. It's a family phrase. It's a phrase, a family name. I am now part of something bigger than myself. Christ is not just Jesus anointed, but now Christ is the body of many members. We are called the body of what? Say it, body of Christ. And so the anointing that rested on Jesus, it is in his, his headship. He is the head and we are the body. We are the many members of the body of Christ. And so that because we're in Christ, the Bible says because we belong to him, then we are the heirs, the seed of Abraham, and we are heirs according to the promise. The promise of Abraham belongs to us as believers. All right. One thing I want to bring this morning 
as we begin this message, I always have a, a, a one thing, one idea that I want to drive home that we'll repeat throughout the message because I want you to get this, okay? Look at the screen, read it out loud. Here we go. God's promises are certain, but we must believe Him to receive them. Now, when I meditate, when I am quoting things and I'm trying to really get it down into my heart, I will emphasize words. I'll, I'll, I'll learn a new verse of Scripture and I'll say it as many times as there are words in the Scripture and I'll emphasize, I'll move through it very method, uh, methodically and I will come all the way through to the end. Every time I say it, I will emphasize another word going down through the Scripture until I get to the end. And because when you do that, it has a way of kind of emphasizing uh, a particular idea or a portion of that Scripture you're reading. And in music, they're called stress marks. It looks like a little uh, greater than sign over a particular note, and it means play that note harder than the rest that are in that phrase. So if we were, we were putting a stress mark over this, I would have you put it over, everybody say, him and them. So let's read it now with a stress mark over him and them. Say it with me. God's promises are certain, but we must believe him to receive them. Notice it's about him. It's not about believing in the promises. It's about believing in Jesus. He's the object of our faith. Our faith is not in our own faith. Our faith is not in the possibility of a greater future. Our faith is not in human potential. Our faith is not in possibility thinking. All of those are good ideas that are just basically self-help, self-improvement methods that can make you be a better worker at work and maybe a better husband at home, but it's not going to make you be a better Christian. Being a better Christian means you keep your eyes focused on Jesus because this thing is all about Him. It always has been all about Him. It always will be all about Him. Somebody say amen. God's promises are certain, but we must believe Him to receive them. All right, three parts. Number one, God's irrevocable promises. God's irrevocable promises. What does irrevocable mean? It means it can't be changed. It is unalterable. It is, it, it, it can't be opted out of. People enter into contracts all the time and they go to court because they find a loophole and they, Arkansas word, here it comes, finagle their way out of it. Now, everybody in the room knows what I'm saying when I say finagle your way out of it, but I, I challenge you to find that word in the dictionary. Finagle. What is that in the word? You know, it's not a Bible word. But man is a finagler. We always look for a way out. And the whole issue is that God says, I'm good for my word. My word is true. His promises are irrevocable. He doesn't give them and then pull them back. He doesn't proclaim them and then change his mind. Let's get some scriptures. Here we go. We're going to jump right in. We're going to jump and dive in the middle of the stream here in Galatians 3, right in verse 15. We're talking about two big ideas the law and the promise. The law of God, particularly the Ten Commandments given to Moses in Exodus 19 at Sinai. Again, in Deuteronomy 5, you find them in, in the, the, what's called the book of the covenant or the book of the law. And so we, we're talking about the ten words, the tetragrammaton, the holy, the, 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 the words that God gives, the decalogue. Deca meaning ten, like a decade, logos, the ten words from God, Okay. Um, these promises are very different from those ten words of the law. 
Because the promises of God, he says, are unchangeable. They're irrevocable. Dear brothers and sisters, verse 15, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. Say it again one more time. Say irrevocable. Now, I I think there are lots of debt that you can discharge, credit cards and maybe automobiles and various kinds of debts, and maybe do a chapter 11 or chapter 13 bankruptcy, and you can discharge the debts, you can get rid of them. They are revocable. But student loan debt, because you owe the government, you, you can't finagle your way out of it. It is irrevocable. Now, that's a negative example, but there are things that, are, that, that you just can't change. And the promises of God are one of those things. They are irrevocable. Uh, you can't be bad enough for God to change His mind. And you can't be good enough to earn them. Matter of fact, God loves you how He loves you right now, regardless of how good you think you are or how bad you have been. Come on, somebody. Aren't you grateful for that today? All right, it says, an irrevocable agreement just so as it is in this case. Verse 16, God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. King James says, and to his seed. And he specifically says, Uh, Notice the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. So Paul the Apostle is quoting from the Abrahamic covenant, which God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Now, I'm going to flip back there real quick in my notes and read from Genesis chapter 12. This is the NLT. It's not on the screen, so just listen. Now, the Lord had said unto Abram. Notice his name wasn't Abraham yet. His name was Abram. He's 75 years old. His name, Abram, means exalted father, but he has no children. So can you imagine every time his name is mentioned, maybe his buddies probably giggle a little bit. The men don't giggle, sorry. They heartily laugh. But probably the women giggled a little bit. Well, isn't that something? His name is Exalted Father, and he ain't no daddy. No kids. He knows that if he passes, that his name will be lost because he needs a male heir to pass on the family name. And he's he's not seeking God. He's not checking out church at some seeker-friendly operation. He's... He's not, you know, really sort of looking around any kind of way. He's not, a, he's not a seeker at all. As a matter of fact, he's walking the opposite direction away from God. He, he's raised in Ur of the Chaldees, which is Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. He's not a Jew. He's an Iraqi. There are no Jews yet at this point. That's, that's a term that comes from the word Hebrew, which comes from Eber, which is one of the descendants, okay, And so that comes along later. Abraham's not seeking after God in any kind of way. And God doesn't just show up because Abraham is so all-fired, wonderful, and good. As a matter of fact, Abraham's worshiping the moon. He's into moonship. He's into worshiping the constellations and the the stars of heaven, the bodies of heaven, planets, and everything that emits a little bit of light up here in the heavens. And he's, he's he's a moon worshiper. And the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, goes after Abraham. God basically sets his affection on him, and he goes and pursues him and chases him down. And he says, this is what I'm going to do for you. God just showed up and made Abraham a promise, Abram at the time, and he wasn't even asking for it. 
Now, how many of you know God showed up in your life one night, maybe via a dream or an angelic visitation or a voice of the Lord in some kind of way? How many of you know that it gets your attention? Somebody say amen. All right. So Abraham, Abram is radically changed at this point, and this is what he says. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get thee out of thy country. Uh-oh, it's kicked to King James. Give me a second to reset that to the NLT. And we must have had a little blip momentarily in our, our Wi-Fi because when it disconnects, it automatically goes to what I have downloaded here, and I don't have all those other translations downloaded. Here it is, NLT. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Everybody say a nation. I will bless you. Everybody say bless you. I'll make you famous. Everybody say famous. You'll be a blessing to others. Everybody say bless others. Okay, so we got four promises so far. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Well, you can't be a great nation if you ain't had the first baby yourself yet. So he's 75, but God's basically promising him he's going to have a son, which will become sons, which will become families, which will become multiple tribes, which will become a great nation that will be later known as Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel were the, the leaders were the 12 sons of Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. That's where all that comes from. Find it in the book of Genesis. So he's going to be a great nation, he's going to be blessed, he's going to make his name great, and he's going to be a blessing to others. So we've got four things happening in the promises of God to Abraham, but that's not all of it yet. Verse 3, he says, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. Wow. How many know if you've got God on your side, you don't need anybody else because you two are a majority? God and fill in the blank, your name. Because God says, guess what? I'm going to bless you and everybody who mistreats you better get out of my way. The Lord's saying, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who treat you with contempt because I'm on your side. How many of you know if you've got God on your side, you don't need a marketing team? You don't need a promotion? You, you, you don't need a capital investments? Whatever, whatever your idea is, if God's given you an idea and He's on your side, how many of you know you just begin to put that thing into effect and take some steps, get it out of fantasy where it's a dream and start breaking it into goals and start moving toward it by faith and God will show up and bless everybody who blesses you and better get out of the way if they try to, to block it. How many of you know? I don't want to chase that rabbit. I'm going to stop. I'm going to get this message preached today. Kill as few rabbits as I have to, okay? Somebody say amen. He says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Well, that's only through Jesus. It's certainly not his natural sons. You know, he had one son by an Egyptian bondmaid or bond servant, uh, a servant to his wife Sarah, whose name was Hagar, and he birthed Ishmael. And Ishmael, basically, the name Ishmael means wild ass. How many of you had that straddled to you or strapped to you as a name your whole life? Hey, wild ass, come here. <gasps> I can't believe you said that in church. I, I just did that to offend a couple of Pharisees. I don't know who you are, but if you are, just get offended and whatever. Do with it whatever you want to. If you read the Bible, you'd find out it actually is pretty real and it's pretty funny. Um, you just have to study a little bit. Isaac is born. His name means laughter. Everybody say, ha, ha. So we got two sons born. One means laughter, another one means wild ass. How many of you know that's not a party? That's, that's conflict already ready to happen. And the world has been rocking and rolling and reeling ever since because the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael have been at each other's throats for 
It's thousands of millennia, thousands of years in the Middle East and the unrest because of the sons of Ishmael in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and Arab Emirates and in Iraq and Iran and, and the, the, the sons of Isaac, you know, the natural-born sons of Isaac in terms of in the Palestinian area of what we know as Israel today, and the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. We know the conflict that has existed for, for thousands of years and will until, will probably continue until Jesus comes. He says, so all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Everybody say, that's about Jesus. All right, so we got that this morning, and I want you to I'll continue to read here. He says, Paul is quoting all of that. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name famous, make your name great. He says, I, you will be a blessing to others. He says, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who cursed you. That's number six. Number seven is, through you, you're going to have a seed, a greater son, a seed singular, literally, that's going to bless the whole earth, and it will be your heir. Paul comes along and he says, all of this that we're talking about, notice it didn't say to his children, as of many descendants, but it said to his child, and Paul says in the scripture, and that of course means Christ. The whole thing's about Jesus it always has been about Jesus. It always will be about Jesus. Verse 17, this is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. Israel has come along. They're established as a nation. They're seeing themselves kind of as special in terms of all the other nations of the world. God's intention was to make them the firstborn among the nations so that they would be a priestly nation to the whole earth. But they rejected God's request. They rejected their destiny and turned their back on it and basically said, oh no, we can't do that. That's, we're too afraid. And so basically God picked a tribe out of the twelve called Levi and there arose the Levitical priesthood which would become the priestly tribe to that one nation. And they lost this sense of a big vision of touching the world and being the firstborn among all the nations of the world to show how great and how good the God that they served really is. So they forfeited a future because they were afraid. That's what fear will do to you. You will forfeit your future because you're stuck living in the past instead of living from the future to the present, believing through faith God's greatness and His goodness is revealed in your life. Somebody say amen. He says, what was given 430 years later in no way negated the promise. He says, uh, verse 18, he says, God will be breaking his promise. No, that can't happen. He says, verse 18, for if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. So the promise came way before the law. The law was added. It was an amendment. We just read that an amendment can't make an agreement irrevocable or it can't turn it around and revoke it because this thing is irrevocable. So what I want you to see is this in this whole section is that God is good for His Word. His promises are sure. The, 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 the prophet Isaiah said, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I have sent it. When God speaks, it has the power to produce the intended result. And if you hear the word of the Lord and receive the word of the Lord and have faith in God who spoke it, then the word that He spoke will produce fruit in your life. 
Jeremiah said in the first chapter of his book, I hasten over my word to perform it. God is interested. He is, he is anxious, if I can use that word with a little bit of liberty. He's excited about the word that he's spoken over your life and he's sitting on the edge of his seat to bring it to pass in your life if you will just hear that word and mix it with a little bit of faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to put some courage in your heart. I want to strengthen your heart. I, I, I want you to lift up your eyes and see the bigness of who Jesus is no matter how difficult your circumstances or how high the mountain is or how deep the valley or how wide the river is that you have to cross. Your, your valley of depression, your river of problems, your mountain of obstacles that stands in your way. Jesus is greater than all of those things. And His Word is true. And His power is unlimited. Hallelujah. Get excited with me just a little bit this morning. Come on. You showed up. You might as well actually just participate with me and help me preach this message just a little bit in this place today. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass away. It cannot fail. Come on, somebody. You were born by the power of that word. There's something down on the inside of you that cannot die. There's something on the inside of you that cannot fail because the DNA that birthed you into the kingdom of God is the word of God which cannot fail. The earth, flesh is grass is what the Bible says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It abides forever. You're born again not by corruptible seed, not by the sperm of a man, but you're born again by the seed of God. It's The Bible says being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which lives and abides forever. There's something on the inside of you that can't die. There's something on the inside of you that can't fail. Even if you're in the midst of failure, you're not going to stay there because that's not your destiny. You're going to rise up out of it like, a, like, like Phoenix coming up out of the ashes. You're going to see God give you beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. Come on, I'm encouraging myself a little bit in this place this morning. Because the word of God is true and God is good for his word. He's a God of integrity. Somebody help me say amen today. The seed and the covenant with Abraham... It's a singular seed. It's not seeds of many that are multiple, but it's the seed as of one, and that seed is Christ. And now you're part of that family. You're part of the body of Christ. That means you have the rights and the privileges that the seed, you are inheritor. How many of you know that if you had, had word sent to you that you had a rich uncle who decided to name you in the will, you'd drop everything you could to fly there, drive there, walk there, ride a bicycle there, however you do, however you had to to get to, to the, where they were going to read the will. What I'm telling you is that you're in Christ and Christ is the seed of Abraham and because you're part of the family, you're inheritor, you're heirs according to the promise of God. Come on, somebody. Okay, big deal. What does that mean? Well, I just told you, God's going to bless you. Does anybody know what the word bless means? Everybody say, empowered to prosper. That means whatever you put your hand to. That's what the psalmist said. God's going to make it, say it, prosper. Now, that's not sinful things. That's not selfish things. That's, those are kingdom things. Those are things that are rooted and grounded in the word. God is going to bless you. He's going to make a great nation out of you. He's going he's to make your name great, make you famous. Maybe famous in the Delta. Maybe famous in the U.S. Maybe famous in the whole world. I think we all each have different uh, 
a grace, a measure of grace that we're all to walk in, and it's different for everybody. And as long as I can walk in the one God's lined me up in, if I can run in my lane and not, not lust after another lane that my other brother's in, not try to make myself something into what I'm not, if I can just be satisfied and be fulfilled in what God's called me to do and let my brothers and sisters find their lane and run in their lane and see the blessing of God come on their lives, then how much happier than can we be in the kingdom of God? We'll just do what we're called to do. Let the Lord take care of everybody else. The gospel was God's only plan from the beginning. The, the text that we read last week in the early part of, of Galatians chapter 3, the Bible says that God preached the gospel to Abraham. So the gospel and the idea of the church of Christ, the idea of the body of Christ is not God's plan B because things didn't work out with the natural nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, God's plan from the foundation of the world was that Jesus would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the whole world. God's always had a worldwide vision. God has always said, for God so loved the world. He didn't say God so loved Israel. Now, how many of you know God's, God loves His heart is on Israel? But how many of you know God has a worldwide vision? Come on, aren't you thankful that He, he loved you in that bunch? Come on, somebody. So the vision is bigger than sometimes we've heard or than maybe we've even thought. How could I be include, included in that blessing list? Well, the Bible says that when you're in Christ, that's the changing factor right there. The gospel was God's only plan from the beginning. It's all about Jesus. It always has been. It always will be. Because God's promises are certain, but we must believe Him in order to receive them. Say that last line with me. We must believe Him in order to receive them. Point number two. Go with me quickly. Okay, great. Gospel, grace, justification, all this stuff by faith. We get it. So what's the whole point of the law then? Why did it even come? Well, Paul's going to ask that question himself in the text, and he's going to answer it for us. Let's look. Galatians 3.19, Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promises to show people their sins. Because we have this list now that's codified, that's an external description in words of the holy character, the nature of God our Father. The law was never given for a people to work their way into salvation. It was given to a people who were already saved. They had been delivered from Egypt, which is a type of the world, which was led by Pharaoh, which is a picture or prophetic type of Satan. They were in slavery, which is what we are in sin and bondage, and they get delivered by the same three elements that brings you salvation. The blood of the Lamb over their doorpost, the waters of baptism through the Red Sea, and the baptism into the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they were baptized into Moses, Moses in the sea and in the cloud. So everybody say this with me. Say, blood, water, spirit. Same three elements that deliver you in the kingdom of God and birth you into the kingdom of God are the same three that delivered the children of Israel, which were just a natural sign of the spiritual truth that we now have in Christ was a picture of what we would receive in Him, the fulfillment. What they, they had the type, we have the truth. They had the shadow, we have the substance. We've got the real goods. They were delivered by natural blood, uh, a lamb's blood over a doorpost. And you'll remember, how many of you saw Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments? You see it every Easter. And the death angel comes through down the streets and everybody who doesn't have the blood applied to the doorpost of their homes 
the, the firstborn in that house dies because the, because the death angel takes that one. But we celebrate Passover in Christ because the death angel passed over us because we're covered by the blood. It's the blood that saves us. And then they get up and they walk out of Egypt and they're washed in the waters of baptism as they pass through the Red Sea. The Bible says they were baptized into Moses in the sea and in the cloud. The cloud that covered them by day, the first air conditioning system in the history of the world, they had a mini split. They had a mini split because it was a cloud by day to protect them from the heat and it was a fire by night to protect them from the cold because out there in that wilderness desert region on the sands of the Middle East, what can be a 100 degree day literally can drop to about 10 degrees at night because of heat radiation of all the heat that was in the sands comes up at night and it's gone and then people freeze. And so... Children of Israel are walking out of Egypt delivered by the blood, the water, and the Spirit and they're covered by this cloud. So as they breathe, they're breathing in a picture of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. That was their GPS tracking system. Wherever the pillar went by night and the cloud went by day, they were led by the Spirit of God through the wilderness. Y'all hearing me a little bit this morning? And so as they walk through that, and they, wherever the cloud goes, they go. Wherever the fire, the pillar of fire at night stops, they set up camp, and they, they wait in that moment. That's the reason sometimes God will take you through a season of a lot of movement, but sometimes He'll just sit down and let you camp in an area so that you can really, you, you, you can really begin to assimilate and, and take in the truth that you're learning that He's doing in your life. He's led you to a point to give you some rest. If there's not a whole lot of movement in your life, then thank God for a season of rest. Come on, somebody say amen. I, I'm glad for some seasons of rest. And then all of a sudden I get rested and it's time to move again. Oh, there goes the cloud. Do, 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 do. They're sounding the trumpets. The priests are picking up everything. Camp's moving. we got to go. And as revival has proceeded through history, God help us, there have been people who love Jesus who, who, who've raised up great churches in the past. And, and when the cloud moved and God says, okay, I'm going to teach you something new and we're going to move forward, they had nailed their tent stakes so deeply down in that spot, in that, geogra- that geography, in that doctrinal position that when the Spirit of God began to move, they said, no, we like it here, we're going to stay here. And guess what? When the cloud leaves, life goes with them and they're in a dead religious experience in a dead church where everybody except the Holy Ghost shows up. Are y'all hearing me a little bit this morning? Because I'm preaching way better than you're acting. Come on, help me a little bit today in this place. Word of God comes, the law is given to show them their sins, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. I've I've, uh, been trying to cook since dawn passed, trying to learn. I've been a great griller, man. I, I tell you, I can grill, grill a mean steak and some chops, and man, I can smoke some ribs. Woo wee! Smoke a smoke a Boston shoulder or a butt, whatever. Uh, man, yeah, I, I can tear that stuff up. But trying to cook, trying to bake, I subscribe to a, a food delivery service called HelloFresh. It's really great because the stuff gets delivered in a really cool box and then, you know, has a couple of ice packs in it. Three meals a week come and so it serves two and so then that actually means I've got six meals out of it and I'm learning to cook. And it's frustrated me because I've gone shopping a few times at the grocery store and I get busy in the week and then those big, sumptuous, gorgeous, thick butterfly pork chops I've sat in the refrigerator all week and I didn't get them on the grill in time because I got busy in the night. I was planning on doing it. Something came up with the church and I had to go see somebody. And, and 
it says use or freeze by 10-9-17. Okay, wait, this is 10-19. That's 10 days past the expiration date. I don't know if I'm going to use I'm a little scared of those. Pitch, six bucks, two big thick chops. Man, I'm, I, hate, I hate that. Just threw away six dollars. How many, how many have to do that? We throw away so much food in America, it's crazy. But there's an expiration date. If you don't eat those before that date, you, you have the risk of making yourself sick. There's, there's a, how many of you know milk will let you know when it's expired, whether the date says it or not? Ooh, Lord, have mercy. Ha! Ugh, that make you pray when you stick your nose down in that. Glory to God. <laughs> And you know, woo, man, that, that, that stuff. And my grandmother used to say, that milk is blinky. I don't know if it meant because she would blink when you smelled it. Have <laughs> you ever, ever heard that phrase, milk is blinky? I, what, what the heck is blinky? I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, gone bad, that's for sure. Uh, and the whole point is, is that this text right here says there's an expiration date on the law. This is to be used B.C. Everybody say, use B.C. Before Christ, what does it say? It says it was to last, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Who's the child who was promised? Say his name. Jesus. Put your hands together and give him praise. God gave his law through angels to Moses who was the mediator between God and his people. So God sent an intermediary. He sent Moses as his representative to give the law to the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. He just knocked on Abraham's shoulder, patted him on the shoulder and said, Hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless those. I'm going to make you a blessing to others. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And because of you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's Jesus. Because of your seed, your child. You open the Gospels, you open the very first book of the New Testament, and it's the book of Matthew. And the very first line says, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Because those are the two primary covenantal guys of the Old Testament. When God met Abraham, he basically promised him the land. He said, as far as your eye can see, I'm going to give it to you. Everybody say, the land. So David comes along later and they've got a kingdom established and because David has the heart of God, God promises David, he says, I'm going to give you the throne and as long as I'm God in heaven, somebody in your seed, in your lineage is going to sit on the throne, which Jesus happens to be in that direct lineage. When you move all of those natural promises about a geographical spot in the Middle East called Israel and about who's running that kingdom, and it all of a sudden becomes bumped up into Christ and it becomes a spiritual truth that's magnified. When you open Romans chapter 4, the Paul the Apostle says, the Bible declared that God promised Abraham that not he would just be heir of Israel, that little strip of sand in the Middle East, but that now in Christ he is heir of the whole world. Well, guess what? If the Abrahamic promises declare that the earth belongs to God and the promises to David, that's the right to rule it. Everybody say the land. And the throne, the earth, and the right to rule it. Ezekiel says that the one who's, who comes, whose right it is, he will take and rule the throne with a rod of iron, with a scepter of righteousness. And that's Jesus. He now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, ruling 
among all the kingdoms of men. It may not look like it sometimes, but Jesus is on the throne, folks. In spite of Trump, in, in, in spite of the crazy dude in North Korea, in spite of the Democratic Party, in spite of the Republican Party, in spite of who's in the White House, Jesus is on the throne, and that doesn't change. Come on, put your hands together and give him praise. He says, I showed up and didn't use a mediator when I gave my promises to Abraham. I showed up myself. Is there a conflict, verse 21, then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right by, with God by obeying it. The law doesn't have the ability. It enslaves us and it demands we conform. The gospel empowers us and it gives us the ability. It sets us free and it empowers us to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Absolutely not, he says, if the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. Everybody say prisoner. We're prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. The law, the regulations, accuse me. doesn't give me the ability to do any of the demands that the law makes. But the gospel comes along now and gives me grace, the empowering, enabling ability of the Holy Spirit that's alive inside me now. An internal person is always better than an external law or regulation. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Verse 22, but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So the purpose of the law was to reveal sin. It has an expiration date. Use it before B.C., before Christ. And we're prisoners of sin. But remember, God's promises are certain, but we must believe, say it, we must believe Him to receive them. Last point, and I'm finished this morning. God's family inherits the promises. And because you're in Christ, you're written in the will. You're part of the family of God. It's not a rich uncle, but it's a benevolent father who's written you into the will. Verse 23, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. A guardian, in other words. We were kept in protective custody so to speak, until, everybody say until, until is a time word. It says until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. So Paul says, in other words, let me give you an, another illustration. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to grab this. Let me make it clearer. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian. In Europe, it would be a nanny or a governess. How many of you ever saw the sound of music? Julie Andrews was the governess. For the family, taught them how to sing Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Do, a dear. Remember, she's their governess. Well, when, when dad's away, when the parents are gone, the governess has final authority because he, the governor or the governess, is charged with the responsibility of leading the children right, responsibly, morally, training them. And so the law of God was our guardian. We were under protective custody until Christ came. Now that Christ is in our hearts, we don't need the governor or the governess any longer. Because what's written down on the outside never can have the same influence than the living relationship I have on the inside. Are you following me? Come on, I'm almost finished. Stay with me. It says, he says that the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. There it is. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. 
for you all are God's children, he says, for you are all children of God. The Greek says sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Three verses and I'm finished. These last three get so. This is the crescendo of the symphony right here. This thing's building. Tension is mounting. This is the bottom line of what he's saying in chapter 3. And all who have been united with Christ, everybody say in Christ, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. I got up this morning and I got dressed. By the way, this belt's in the last notch. Somebody say praise God. Not the last one on the front end, the last one on the back end. I'm down 15 pounds. Hallelujah. I'm just going to waste away. Just, you can't even see me up here, can you? I'm so thin. But I took this coat and I put it on. It covered me. Because the Bible says when we are baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ. I'm suited. I'm armored. I'm prepared. I'm ready. When you walk out of here today and you walk into this week, know who you are, that you have put on Christ, that you are united in Christ, that you're covered by the family name and the family blessing and the promises of God are yours. I tell you, this is just, it just wears me out how we've been so beat up in the Bible belt by pastors that are nearly biblically illiterate and they just preach a warmed over version of John 3.16 every Sunday. And they never grow up babies in the pews because they've never taught them how to identify with who they are now. It's always an emphasis on all that they used to be. And that's gone. If, if you buried the old man in the waters of baptism, leave him in the graveyard. Leave him in the graveyard. And remember what the angel said when the women came looking for Jesus. Why seek ye the living among the dead? How many of you know you're alive in Christ now? That's not who you are anymore. It may have been who you used to be, but that was B.C., everybody say, before Christ. Now you're united with Christ and you've put on Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm not preaching perfection in the way of sinlessness of anybody in this church. The only sinless one is Jesus. But I want to tell you, when you do sin, you've had a momentary memory lapse and you've forgotten who you are now. My gosh, that'll preach the rest of the day. Somebody just punched his wife and he said, you don't think he really means that, do you? It'll preach the rest of the day. No, I'm wrapping it up. Some of you got that. I'm serious. If you Think about this. When you, when you miss it, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. When you miss it in any kind of way, you've had a spiritual Alzheimer's moment. You've forgotten your identity. You've forgotten your family. You have, you've, 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 you've dismembered your remembrance. Remember yourself and put it all back together and remember who you are in Jesus now, not who you used to be, but now you're in Christ. And therefore, if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the, the old has gone and the new has come. Hallelujah. All who've been united in Christ and baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Now look at the implications of this. Two verses and I'm finished. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, the accepted group, the outcast of the dogs, the heathen nations. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. And just because you're Jew doesn't mean you're better than the Gentile. Just because you're free doesn't mean you're better than the slave. And this is not a biblical justification for any race enslaving another one. This is the picture of people who are in bad financial situations and who have, through indentured servitude, sold themselves for a limited period of time into the service of a rich family. 
That's the only kind of slavery that the Bible ever justified. It was in a culture that rather than having people go to poorhouse or prison for their bankruptcy or their debts, you would willingly go and find a wealthy family and sell your services. And the matter of fact, the law was very clear. It says you never uh, keep anyone in that condition longer than seven years. And the, the, the seventh year, and every seventh year in the Jewish calendar was the year of release. All slaves go free. No matter how much debt you owed, no matter how much it cost that family to buy your debt and for you to be a servant in the house, a slave... You were to be set free. And so he basically says in Christ all the, all the playing fields have been leveled. There's no longer special group that God sees the Jews better than anybody else and the Gentiles that are outcast and nothing but dogs. It's not slave or free. And if you're free, you're not better than the slave. He says, and there's really no distinction anymore between male and female. The brothers can't claim they're better just because they have a different apparatus. I'll leave that alone. Just because your gender is different. You can't claim that you're special because in Christ there is equality. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor male nor female nor slave nor free. And all of these things that have been lines of distinction for people to feel better than somebody else. In Christ that's all been wiped away. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Last sentence, last line, I'm finished. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. You're the family of God. You're in Christ. You are written in the will. Show up for the reading of your rich uncle because he loves you. Boss, I need to take off because I just found out I'm in my rich uncle's will. You know what? You guys need to open a copy because in your laps right there is a copy of the will of God, and you're written into it. Come on, put your hands together. God's promises are certain, but we must believe Him to receive them. Man, this is great, and I like talking about Abraham, but really, what does that mean to me today? I'm just an ordinary dad who's trying to keep a job, trying to work hard, maybe get a promotion, provide a better living for my kids. Well, let me tell you what this means, sir. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and you're struggling because you're wondering, am I ever going to get these kids out of these diapers? Or, oh my goodness, Lord, help me get these teenagers grown up before I actually commit murder. <laughs> Sometimes we get to where we can't see the forest for the trees and all the stuff we're facing and the pressure and the stress and the anxiety. And, and sometimes you question your marriage because if you're honest, you know, you're kind of wondering if you've lost that loving feeling. Whoa, whoa. And life happens. Just all the stuff that we have to deal with. And out of the blue, a tragedy takes place and it just slams you. I've been recovering from emotional whiplash since a year ago, going, how did this happen? And literally just, just got to where I felt like I could breathe. Have, 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 you, ever, have you ever had that feeling where you need to take a real deep breath and yawn, but it's like your lungs won't let it happen. That's how I've felt in the spirit for a year. I just feel like, like I can't breathe and I can't get my breath. Just feel like I've been just knocked back in this emotional tragedy. I'm just trying to keep my head on straight. 
God, do you even love me? People in this room are hurting like that right now. If anything has taken place, if there's anything redemptive that God has done and is doing in my heart as a result of what I've been through, it's to dig the well of the compassion of Christ deeper and it's to say, I care about you and the Lord loves you. And you don't have to stay in that place of desperation. But don't just grit your teeth and white knuckle the circumstances. Let your desperation cause you to cry out to Jesus. Cry out to God. Very simply, you don't have to understand theology. You don't even have to pray any kind of great, beautifully worded, perfect prayer. The Bible just simply says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, just call on his name. It, it doesn't require an altar at a church or a holy man's hands or holy woman's hands, whatever that means. It doesn't require any of that stuff or any of the hoopla. You can be crossing the bridge going to work. You can cry out to Jesus. I need you to help me today. You can go to the back of the house for just 30 seconds and get away from the family and the kids you're ready to kill and go, I need you, Jesus. And I believe there are people this morning that are desperate. And desperation is a good place because you're ripe for God to show up on your, in your life do something miraculous God's promises are certain but we must believe him to receive them as the seed of Abraham he's promised he would bless you he would make you a blessing he would use you as a channel to bless the families of the earth because you're in the family now you know what if you're not in the family it's just one word away it's just one phrase away. You know how you get in the family? Jesus, save me. I trust you. Heads bowed and eyes closed.